You're listening to the CPR of Life podcast, a show about creating community through connection, awakening potential, and uncovering the resilience of the human spirit through an understanding of state of mind. It's about living a life well-lived and uncovering what often gets in the way. Welcome to episode number 19. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Colette Riley back to to talk about parenting. This month is all about relationships, and parenting can be one of the most rewarding yet challenging journeys that we can go on. Colette is a personal and business coach, as well as a director at Potential in Me. Colette and I have always had great conversations about working with children, tweens, and teens, as well as with parents. She brings a fun and playful, yet wise lens to the journey. I hope you enjoy this conversation. So Colette, welcome back for round two. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for having me back for round two. Well, I think when it comes to parenting, you and I have had so many conversations about it that it only makes sense that we continue the conversation for the month on relationships with parenting. It's a juicy one. Very, very juicy. There's so many layers, isn't there? I know. know. Parenting and families, it's just endless. You're doing some work with families right now. What's what's that about? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my word. What's that about? Well, for me, oh, as you say, it's so juicy. We have got a program that brings families together. Um, so it's the parents and carers and their young people. And young people that we work with are tweens and teens. Mm. And the reason we do that is there's... And rightly so, a lot of support out there for parents of young kids, so babies and toddlers. And that early years intervention is really, really important. However, as kids grow up, they, they're different. Yeah. Every group is different. And we found that parents kind of struggle when their kids are in this kind of tween-teen stage because it is a whole different stage of development and there isn't enough conversation out there, in my opinion, and certainly of the opinion in the families that I'm speaking with. Um, There's not a lot of support that tells us about that stage of development and what to expect and what's normal and and all of that kind of thing. So our families programme is really just inviting humans of different ages and stages into the room to reconnect and get to know each other, play some games together and it's personal development for families so it's getting encouraging the kids to get to know themselves, encouraging the parents to get to know themselves Mm -hmm. and helping them get to know each other as humans first. So it's really 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 nice, really nice. The humans first, I think that kind of takes away a layer right there of the expectation because I think that from a lot of the parents that I work with, um, they have expectations, excuse me, and they get angry and frustrated when their kids aren't living up to their expectation of what they think the child should be like. So true. The child automatically feels like a failure. Yep. It's such an interesting place. When you were talking there, I thought there was this book when I was pregnant that it was called What to Expect When You're Expecting. Uh They should have one, What to Expect When You're Having Tweens, When You Have Tweens. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) We talk about like not having a manual 
um, mm. to understand being human. And it's it's so true. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when we press pause long enough to actually go inside and trust ourselves, we don't need a manual. We don't really need people to tell us. It really is common sense. You know that your child is in a different stage of development. And when we kind of quieten our mind down enough and see the human before us, then it's a lot easier to to hear what's what they're wanting, what they're saying. It's a lot easier to notice who they actually are. And they're not you. Yes. They're your own little person. I was that's one of the bigger challenges I think for parents and so many parents I've talked to are they want their children to have or be what they didn't have or get to be. Yeah. You know, whether they have them in a ridiculous amount of sports and, and, and activities so the child has no time to breathe. And even the children don't want to be in it. But for the parent, it's like, this is an opportunity that I didn't have. Do you find yeah. that? Oh, completely. And to be honest, I think that's human nature. Yeah. Course. You know, when we, when we love the person, regardless whether, you know, it's a child or anybody else, then we want the best for them. Mm-hmm. But wanting the best for them, often we skew that and we believe that what the best thing is for them is what I want. And the best thing for you is the best thing for you, which could be entirely different to what I believe is the best thing for you. Yeah. And it's that conversation and finding that that space to dance. Because it is a dance. I mean, there's certainly things, there's boundaries and stuff that, you know, as parents we want our kids to understand. But then there's boundaries that are maybe not necessarily need to be so definitive. Well, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. How many of us have really sat down with our kids and asked them what they would love to do Mm. rather than getting on exactly the same steam train as our own parents got on and, you know, believing that music lessons are important because that's what you do. Yeah. (laughs) I read an article that stimulates this part of your brain, so you are going to do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than, you know exploring what the possibilities are and sitting down with your kid and saying, right, okay, you will be doing something. Mm-hmm. But what yeah. is it we're going to? And encouraging your child to actually trust themselves. Yeah. And make an option and take that, pursue it. And, you know, something, if they don't like it, big deal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with feeling like I'm... I, he's tried so many different things and I've said to him, if you want to join a sport where it's a team sport, that's great. The only thing that I say is I'm happy to do that. If you commit to it, though you commit because you're committing to a team, right? You're committing to being part of the team. So you have to kind of, you have to go the length of, you know, however long that we sign you up for, because that's part of learning about commitment. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think um, some of the fear for parents is if I let my child choose, then that shows that there's no rules or they will just give it up. 
but you've just given the perfect example that it doesn't have to be like that. You can give your child the freedom of their choice with rules that support their well-being, their performance, and their learning about life. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to dictate everything for them to get the best. Angela Duckworth, she's um, a psychologist. She wrote Grit. Oh, can I just say I know that name? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a great TED Talk, but she's got a whole bit on... Um, Parenting with Grit. Hmm. Fascinating. Um, and I can't remember the exact details, but there's lots of different styles of parenting. And my style is very gentle and very laid back. However, I've got very, very, very high standards. So for people who don't know me, they can think that I am I'm a woman with, without rules. Mm. Because I've got a very loving household or very touchy feeling even my relationship with my children's friends is very you know I treat them like my own kids however I do have very 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 high standards and there's other parents who potentially are less overtly loving and touchy-feely and all of that and more obviously um high performance parents and what Angela found was there's really no difference as long as that child feels loved and having that degree of expectation as in being held to a high standard that's what helps our children thrive so for me and I bring this up A because the, the whole book is really really fascinating but it's very easy to judge yourself as a parent and think, look at other parents and think, well, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not the touchy-feely one. So obviously, you know, that woman's havering. I could never do that. But it's not about that. It's about you trusting yourself and being the person who you're born to be and just knowing what it takes to get have your child thrive, which is, as you say, having that commitment and that grit, that perseverance to see something through. When you say high standard, what do you mean by that? For me, it's I'd, it's a funny one. So for me, um, high standards are my children contribute to the house. Um, they, I, I teach them how to cook dinners. I teach them how to tidy the room and they are responsible for doing that. Okay, loaded question with that one. Tidying their room to, like, so do you say this is the minimum? So, you know, close away this, you know, this kind of stuff, or is it kind of much more, because their version of tidy and your version of tidy might not be the same. Oh, and they're really not. They're really, <laughs> really not at all. Um, and it is an ongoing conversation. <laughs> and it's interesting because it's really, we are on very different pages. Yeah. Um, we've actually created lists as this is how we, we tidy rooms just to make it easier. And I feel very anal to, to have done that, to be perfectly honest. However, one of my daughters really loves the list, yeah. so it works for her. 
um, for me, that doesn't sound like high standards when I say it out loud. However, it's really interesting because when I talk to other parents and when I work with young people, so many young people don't know how to cook and they don't know how to tidy up and they don't know how to go shopping. Um, they, they, they've just never been given the responsibility and they've never been trusted to go ahead and do it themselves. And my kids, my, my son is 18 now and he's complained quite a lot about having more to do than his peers. And... Um, and I tell him I don't care, which is terrible. I don't actually say I don't care. <laughs> I say, well, I've got two words to say and my kids hate it and it's no luck. So no luck. <laughs> I've got my standards and um, and you know what my standards are. So that's let's just work with it. So yeah, high standards for me is just helping uh, my kids be the house as well. My job as a parent is to help make independent humans. There's a, for sure, that's one of the things. I, I, there's a saying, um, roots to grow and wings to fly. Yeah. I've always, always loved. You know, yeah. it's one of these things. A lot of times when I'm working with parents now, it's more of kind of, it's almost like, encouraging them to coach their kids mm -hmm. you know because as a coach we're kind of tapping them into their own wisdom a hundred percent and we're walking beside them yep but that so but that I mean I've had parents come back and say well you know you don't know what my child is like and my child is like you know there's so much there's so much conflict in the house and yep. There's so, especially like when the when they're becoming less attached to the parents and more kind of attached to their their social networks. Yep, and that's tough as a parent. Yeah, and it's it's tough, especially when we're not aware of it, and it's tough when we choose not to let go because we need to listen things, and we do need to let go, and we do need. To we need to let our kids make mistakes. And the wonderful thing is when we let go with love, they will come back. Mm. They absolutely will come back. But that's quite scary. What do you think of, like, as a parent letting go, but you know, like, they're kind of, it's an age where, like, they're, you know, they're exposed to maybe drinking, drugs, parties, some different choices. What do you think is at the basis of letting go with, with love in that? Well, um, it reminds me of a wee exercise we did in a workshop a wee while ago. And I've got these, um, you know, the big gym elastic bands. Mm. Um, it's in a harness. So I, I got some of the young people to put the harness on and I got their parents to hold on to the, the end of the elastic band, the end of the harness. And um, so I told the parents to hold on tight and the young person to run. And there was a great deal of tension in this elastic band. And then I said, right, okay, so stop running. And for the parent to just hold loosely on. And the young person, I just told them to walk wherever they want, wanted to walk and for the parent to walk with them. 
you're still attached to your child. The degree of tension is a degree of choice. Mm. So letting go isn't letting go of that harness. Yeah. And letting them and giving permission to go off and drink and take drugs and party and whatever. It's just listening. Yeah. And giving them the freedom and the choice to see where they want to go. That for me is letting go with love. And there's also having conversations, you know, like having conversations and listening. So <laughs> listening, we always say, and parents say, like, our kids don't listen. And I always flip it to, do you listen to your child? How often do you sit down and have a conversation where you don't go in with an agenda or wanting them to see things your way, but really just listening with an open heart and an open mind? Yeah. And when our kids are in that tween teen stage, they can be quite difficult company. Mm. (laughs) Put it mildly. Yeah, and they naturally don't really want to be around us. So the dynamics change and conversation and listening is slightly, um, it just changes because they're not sitting with you as they did when they were younger. Yeah. It's really up to us to go and open that door and sit with them. And just be with them. Yeah. And ask them questions that aren't agenda filled. Yeah. And just think about where they are. And be open to being yelled at or having having that look. Because they might not really want you to be around them. However, that art of listening, even when they're behaving in a way that we feel is um, is them closing the door on us. That's information. That's part of listening. And for me, that's our role as a parent is to just keep on going back. And now might not be a great time for them. And we might feel rejected because of that. And that's okay. We go back. Yeah. There's, I mean, they're going through so much. Like, you know, they're growing, they're physiologically, psychologically, like there's so much going on in their bodies. Yep. And giving them the space to figure that out and to figure out their space in that period of their lives is such a, it's critical. I'm not critical, but it's important, you know. Yeah. And the the young people that I've worked with, and it's been a good number (laughs) over the years, they've all said they don't feel that their parents listen to them. Yeah, same. And do you have a conversation with the parents then? Or is it just, you know, you work with the young people? It completely depends on the (laughs) So that's the, that, that's the beauty of the families program when both come together. And that's the reason we created that is because I've spent a lot of time working with young people and I've spent a lot of time working with parents. And you can do a lot of work with the individual and you can send them off home 
to have a conversation with a parent. But if the parent hasn't had a conversation and they're not yet on the same page, that puts quite a lot of onus on that young person yeah. to be the change maker. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, they get results. But it could be easier for them if everybody was on the same page and everybody was having the same conversation. So that's a, that's our intention with the families program, is that we're bringing that conversation to everybody at the same time. One of the things that I found now, because I used to just kind of work with kids or, or kids in workshops, um, <clears throat> is that it's important to have a conversation with the parents. So at some point during the process, I will bring them in. And mm. um, a huge change that I saw was working with a group of kids whose parents were going through separation and divorce. And the parents brought the kids to me with their list of things that were the issues. And spending time sitting and listening to the kids. It was really, and at the end, we brought the parents in and to see, to have a conversation and to see how challenging that was sometimes for the parents to hear what the yeah. kids were saying. It was really interesting. It was really an interesting exercise to, to kind of be part of and witness. And it's especially hard for a parent to hear when they're going through a tough time themselves. Yeah. Where they're using up a lot of their energy elsewhere. Yeah. And they're potentially running a bit low. Their battery's a bit low. Um, so to hear what can be perceived as criticism, and it's not criticism. Not, yeah. it's, just a, it's just a perspective. But that can be very, very hard to hear when you're feeling low yourself. I think the timing, that's a, <clears throat> that's a good, you know, it's an important thing whether it doesn't matter what your circumstance. And likewise with your kids, the timing of having conversations really matters. Because like you say, when you're in a low mood, nobody wants to have this, you know, <laughs> deep conversation. Mm -hmm. What they want is to feel loved, you know. So it's the timing of having these conversations that matters as well. And the more it comes back to what you were saying about listening, and the more we listen, and listening isn't just for words. Listening is the full shebang. Yeah. And beginning to notice subtle changes in people. And when we notice the subtle changes and we check in with them so we understand what's actually going on, then it's a lot easier to judge when is a good time and when is a not so good time without that person saying, now's a good time. To talk. <laughs> yeah. With me, even with Finley, I'm always, <clears throat> you know, when I see him kind of getting agitated, it's like, okay, I'll give him water, give him something to eat, make sure like all of these things are kind of tick those check boxes before I'll just be like, I wonder what else is going on. Yeah, yeah. For oh my word, such a long time. Um, I used to think my daughter had was getting bullied or something, some kind of issue coming back from school, because 
she just went into complete shutdown. She was incapable of any form of conversation. She looked white as a sheet. Mm-hmm. She would look straight ahead. And I went straight to the dark place of what's happening. This is yeah. not normal. <laughs> However, not normal according to whom? Mm. According to me. Um, so it turned out that actually she was just peopled out. Yeah. And she wanted to go home. She wanted to eat something and she wanted to be quiet for a while because yeah. she'd spent all day around people and she'd had enough. <laughs> that was it. It's that kind of the it. same as, but that's because she's human. You know, it's the same yeah. Is us, you know, if we're, we're around people all day. The last thing you want when you come home is somebody who's, you know, 50 million questions. You just want a little bit of time to let your mind settle, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> they're just little human beings, but they're still human beings. Completely, completely. Whereas for me, when I have people to lot, I need to actually, I'm quite verbose, so I get quite excited. And I'm oh, you never know what happened. <laughs> yeah. And that five minutes of that helps me relax. Mm-hmm. And once I've, I've done that, then I'm okay. So because that's my MO, I fully expected my kids to have the same MO. Yeah. And they don't. Yeah. They do Good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk to me, mom. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's funny how I think when you take the time to realize that if we were in the same situation, we may feel we may not be acting in the way that we're expecting our children to be acting. It changes things. Are your children, you have three children, so they're yeah. 11, 12, and 18. Are their personalities different? They are, yeah. Yeah, uh, the older two are very similar, similar but different. Um, Callum, my 18-year-old, is very, very, very laid back, um, quite competitive with himself. Mm. Um, middle one, Cara, she's the one that really just doesn't want to people. She can, she can, she lot very helpful, very heart of gold, um, but when enough's enough. She just shuts down and she needs to refuel. And my youngest, she's always been a live wire. She was, when um, when I had her, she was a wee surprise anyway. And um, <laughs> I actually thought I had this parenting gig sorted because, well, Callum was five or six. He, um, Cara was a year when I had Heather. And Cara was quite an easy baby. And I thought, you know something? I can do this. I think I'm a great mum. And then Heather was born. Oh, my word. <laughs> Dr. <Dr>. book out. <laughs> she did not, yeah, she didn't do anything according to the rule book. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and that's, that's still the same. So she's, um, again, a wonderful, wonderful human. But it's she's kept me on my toes because she is different. So it was very easy with Cara because she was very similar to Callum, yeah. and I kind of got in a bit of a lazy groove. <laughs> Whereas with Heather, I've consciously had to get to know her because she's very, very different, which is fab. 
really, really fab. And how are they with sibling rivalry? <clears throat> we don't really have that so much. Um, the age gap, that might, I'm curious how that will work when they're older. Um, Callum has basically had a separate life to Cara and Heather because he was so yeah. much older than them. Um, so the sibling like rivalry really only includes Cara and Heather. And there's not much of it yet, but they're not right into their teens yet. So mm. we'll, we'll press pause on that one and we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back to that conversation. They have their moments. They have their moments. They can be really good friends and um, they're good at sharing their friends. So there's no um, slamming of doors when one has friends over and the other one doesn't. They all play well together. But yeah. We'll see how that, <laughs> <laughs> that unfolds. <laughs> what, what but like you're saying, it is really, for me, it's all in the conversation. Yeah. And, um, and it's, yeah, we have lots and lots of conversations around expectations and treating people well and listening. And, um, and when I say conversations, I don't want that to sound like, I'm on my soapbox lecturing. Mm. It's very much sitting next to them and asking them and being curious what their perspective is. Being curious. Um, that's so important. That, that yeah. 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 How how does this work for you? Um and to be honest, we never know what's worked and what's not worked when we're parenting. But I think that's really helped them learn how to develop relationships and learn to be curious themselves. So that may or may not have had anything to do with the fact that there's not a lot of fighting and conflict. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think is your biggest parenting challenge or has been to date? And maybe that's changed over time. So my, the most current one for me has been with my youngest. And she has, she's still going through it, but I'm in a far better place with it now. She went through a phase of um, how to describe it? Kind of, she's a girl who dresses like a boy, and she really rejected everything to do with being a girl, and that was challenging for me because, ironically, when I was pregnant. I really didn't want to have girls. <laughs> I grew up with boys and um, I didn't know what I would do with a girl. And, you know, everybody talking around me was talking about pink and fluffy and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so not me. Really, I'm not a Barbie doll kind of girl. Um, the idea of dressing kids up in tutus and all of that kind of thing. It's just not me. However, 
when Heather was born, she was the cutest little thing ever. And she loved dresses and she loved dressing up. And I loved that. It just kind of, it, it released something in me. So anyway, really enjoyed her being a, a little girly girl um, for a number of years. And then she just decided that wasn't her. She had beautiful long hair. She wanted it all chopped off. And that was a challenge for me because I had an idea of who she was. And that was entirely different to who she felt she was. So in terms of a parenting challenge, that was a challenge for me to get curious about what was important for me. Why did I want my daughter to be a girly girl? Hmm. Well, I had to go deep on that one and get really curious with Heather around who she wanted to be and how she wanted to show up. So over the last couple of years, she's been short-haired and absolutely loving it. And she dresses in her joggy bottoms and her big hoodies. And and she looks like her. She gets such a big smile on her face now. And it's lovely. It's really, really nice. But she has got sad on a number of occasions because she gets mistaken for being a boy. And that's, again brought up a number of challenges and again life would be a lot easier for me if people just understood that she was my daughter rather than my son and it would be easier for her if people understood that she was a girl or would it so it's been really really interesting the conversations that we've been having around that and how does she like how does she see that? How does that look to her? For her, she would love people to accept people as people. Um she's been really key in my own questioning of labels. Mm. And she's just again, she's curious, she's very accepting. She's okay with it. We've had a number of conversations around um, if she gets upset because people think she looks like a boy. Well, she's choosing a style Mm -hmm. that, you know, people react to. And that's a choice. And if she's not happy with it, she can do something about it or she can accept it and embrace it, that's, again, her choice to do that. And she far prefers making her own choice and living with it. And she's really brave for that. Yeah. She's the cutest pumpkin wearing her stuff. Um, and who knows? Who knows what she'll grow into or... You know, what what choices she'll make in her life from now on in. But she's happy in herself. And that's, and you know, and that's such a critical piece right there is that she's tapped into her own wisdom. She's tapped into something that feels good for her. And yeah. she's just sitting in that, you know, regardless of what the whole outside picture that's being painted 
get what a gift that is that you're giving her the space just to embrace her, her you know who she is well i'm a big believer in we've got around a decade of life that is gifted to us to experiment with yeah we're not fully developed until we're into our 20s in terms of our brain development or well, body development as well um and this beautiful adolescent stage is here to experiment with to learn who you want to be who you want to show up as what works for you what doesn't and i i really honestly believe as parents our job is to hold that space for them to safely experiment to discover all of the things they want to discover so they can move into adulthood with a lot more security and and self-awareness i think what a gift that is when they have that space and they you know they kind of dip their toes in the water and, and, and they find what's right for them instead of what's right for others, you know? Yeah. And I think then going into adulthood, their starting point for, for that phase of their life is different. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so easy because, you know, I'd, I've been there so often it would be a lot easier for me to just lay down the ground rules and say, no, actually, this is what's going to happen. Girls have long hair (laughs) and they wear pink (laughs) and you will wear a dress to your dance and you will do this and you will do that. But who does that serve? Mm -hmm. Really, in the grand scheme of things, when we come back to basics as to what is our job as a parent, is to create that loving foundation where it's okay to experiment and it's okay to fall on your ass and make a huge big mistake and then what do you do? You just stand back up again. And mistakes are really learning that something's not right for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And how can we learn that if we don't create the environment for our children to try new things. Because I think you have to, if, if you don't create the environment, they will look for that environment elsewhere. Yep. You know, yep. um, I was speaking to somebody on a, a podcast guest and he had um, immigrated to Canada when he was 11 and was being bullied at school. And when he talked to adults about it, they had said, that's just what happens. You know, you just, this is just, that's just part of. And so from that, the message that he took in his 11-year-old mind was that they were telling him just to go to school and be bullied, you know. So he just stopped going to school. You know, he just said, I'm not going to do this, you know, which led to, a life of crime and, and being involved in gangs. So it's interesting. I think that when I question parents and, and myself included, it's where do you want them? Where do you, to, to 
to play and to investigate? Do you want yep. it to be around you or somewhere else? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we want them to play around us and for us to have that harness and still be attached but loosely and lovingly, then it's up to us to create that environment where it's safe for our children to continue to explore who they are and what works for them in our presence. And that means that there's going to be a lot of things that come up that might not resonate with us, that we might be uncomfortable with. And, you know, it might not jam with us. And that's okay. Yeah, and, and you raised a good point when you said, like, it might be something where you need to look inside yourself, like you're uncomfortable with this, and, and, and not just being curious with, the, with your children, but being curious with yourself. Why doesn't this sit right for me? Like, what is this with me? That's, you know, that's yep. the problem. Yep. Um, so there's, there's, there's two sides to the coin. It's not, it's just mm -hmm. like the listening. It's not just listening, having your child listen to you, but listening to your child. It's not. So there is, there's so much in there. But one of the things that I love about the work you do is because you bring play into the realm of everything, including parenting. And yeah. what, like, what, 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 to you, what's playful parenting? Playful parenting to me, well, playfulness for me is um, living lightly. So we, um, we, we've got a tendency of treating life very seriously. Um, and it doesn't have to be like that. We don't have to believe everything we think <laughs> um, the world out there whatever we focus on is going to seem really real to us and we've got a choice as to where we put our focus so for me playfulness especially playful parenting is that ability to dance in the moment and be curious so it's not about, it can be about fun, it can be about game playing and whatever, but it really is that curiosity, that showing up really in the present, and that willing to connect human to human. That's, that's playfulness. And in terms of parenting, we said that way at the beginning, yeah, I'm a mum, and I've got kids but we're humans first mm. and we will we will be humans until the day that we die so for me it's it's connecting with that energy rather than the expectations we have of what a daughter should be what a son should be what a mum what a dad should be mm. And it's just showing up and just being together. And it's that being together that's beautiful. Do you, when you're working with the families, do you see that this is a different concept for them, an uncomfortable concept for them, or do they get it and they're just right in there? 
no, no, definitely for a number of them, they're very uncomfortable with it. Um, we, so phoning round a number of families to tell them about it and some parents really want the support so that they can get resourceful themselves and they can kind of get comfortable thinking about this kind of thing first because it takes quite a lot of courage to let go of your labels. So we do work with just parents around this whole concept um, just to get them ready. And when they're feeling better, and in a more resourceful place, then they're a lot happier to bring their whole family together and let go then. But there's a bit of pacing that happens. And hopefully one day, you know, that won't be the case. And it will be that we just accept that families are groups of humans living together and we let go of those roles. But... um. It's so many concepts that we have, like how things should look and and these expectation boxes that are made up, but then we hold people to the standard of them again over and over. Yeah. You know, and what happens when we just kind of let go of that and let whatever's going to unfold naturally unfold? The best bit of advice that I was ever given and the best bit of advice, it was my mum who gave it to me is when I was pregnant with Callum and Callum was a surprise. I was saving up to travel around Africa. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so anyway, decided to have Callum. And my mum said, don't worry if you don't love him when he's born or it when he's born. I didn't know if it was a boy or girl. And when she said that, I was like, oh my word, you are barking mad women. Why in the world? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> would I not love my baby that's that's crazy and she said well I didn't love you guys but I did I learned to love you it's like oh my word that's quite cruel <laughs> but anyway so went on to have Callum and I didn't love him so when he was born huge big baby and I just went into this zone of oh my goodness <laughs> What have I done? Oh, good Lord. And I remember my friends, my mum's friends saying to me, oh, I bet you can't remember your life before him. And I was like, no, I can actually. (laughs) I kind of prepared my life before him. But I kept my mum's words in my head. They don't worry if you don't love him, it will come. It will come. And it did. It came and there was one day and I woke up and... I was head over heels in love with him. And that has grown every single second of every single day since then. And I firmly, firmly believe that that happened because I was prepared to not love him, that I didn't have that expectation box of when a baby is born, the mum falls desperately in love. And I've since spoken to a number of women and they've experienced the same thing but they felt guilty about it because nobody told them Um. because society tells us 
that mums are these loving, giving, benevolent, wonderful humans that birth these things and, and everything's rosy. And it's not like that. But when we let go, it can be. And even having that conversation, I was working with a mum last year who was struggling because she wasn't feeling the bond with her daughter. You know, she just wasn't, it wasn't there in the way that she was seeing other mums that she thought, you know, it's this this thing where we don't show, you know. And when I had conversations with her to say, you know, she's not the only one who struggles and, and, you know, other people might feel this way, but she might have just been seeing it or interpreting it in a different way. She was blown away, you know. And she was, you know, she was saying, you know, when she would go to mums groups, like all the mums would have their hair done, their makeup done. And, you know, whereas she just, she couldn't shower. She, she was just like, she was all over the place. And she was, but she had so much love for her daughter. You could see that. She just, she was in pain. Yeah. And it was like having that conversation. And we don't have that conversation enough. But that's a whole other podcast episode. I guess that just gave yeah. an idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for you, I had a question when you were telling me that now. And I'm trying to think of what it was. What do you think... Callum being 18, so he's kind of gone through a lot of the, the team. What do you think was the biggest challenge for you and the biggest challenge for him during that period? Oh, I think for me, he hardly left his room for a few years. <laughs> so he went, he went from... Oh, I loved it when he was in primary school. His friends were over all the time. He was out, he was playing. Um, and and then he went to secondary and it all stopped. And for any parents who have been through that, it's a lot easier to um, get to know parents in the primary years, in the, in the early years than it is when they go into high school. So having that disconnection that he was going round to people's houses that I didn't know, I didn't know their parents, um, not that he did it very often at all, um, and just staying in his room and playing on his blooming computer was really, really tough, really, really tough. And for me, again, very similar <laughs> to Cara in that when she would leave school, I'd be like, what's, what's wrong with you? And she'd be really, really quiet when actually she just needed to refuel and reset. For Callum, his change of behaviour was really tough for me. I'm like, well, this kind of not going out as often, um, not hanging about with with any of us in the family, just really wanting to be in his room. That, to me, was a sign of something that was wrong. Mm. (laughs) So I was quite concerned and I would have a number of conversations with him and he would reassure me that everything was fine and actually I was just a paranoid parent 
which didn't go down well with me because I didn't like the idea of being a paranoid parent. Um, in hindsight, I absolutely was. Um, because he was okay. He was going to school. He had, you know, pretty much perfect attendance. He was getting good grades at school. Good feedback. There was nothing wrong. Absolutely nothing. The only thing that was wrong was he no longer wanted to hang about with me. (laughs) (laughs) And he was trying to do it in the politest way possible. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that was tough. That was tough. And he and, you know, parents throughout the world will resonate with this and online gaming. Um, That's a huge one. Yeah. But he would connect with his friends that way. So he would, um, again, hang about with his friends during the day at school and then, much like Cara, being very two peas in a pod, he was all peopled out, so he didn't want to go out anymore. But he would connect with his friends online and they would play whatever they were playing, but they would also talk about homework and things online. As parents, I go in his room and I just presume he's playing a game, but actually he was talking about homework because I was privy to it. I kind of hung about long enough. Um, so that learning um, to value how differently he communicated with his friends was very challenging because for me, Tech wasn't about when I was wee. We didn't, online gaming wasn't a thing. Mm. Uh, Mobile phones weren't even a thing. (laughs) So, you know, when we're, for me, when I was parenting Callum at that stage, it was, I just didn't understand how that could be a valid form of communication. But I understand now that it is. Um, albeit there needs to be some limits on it and, you know, there's um, appropriateness of certain games and, you know, I don't allow and I've never allowed him to stay up very, very late and all of that kind of thing. Um, How has he been with that? Because that's one of the, I actually got an email from a parent um, who said her son is like, he just, she's got her rules of, you know, when he can play and what time it needs to be shut down. And he just, he doesn't respect them when he keeps pushing them. And then, you know, when she says, okay, it's, it's enough is enough. Then there's just huge, huge fights. That's their job as teenagers mm-hmm. is to put boundaries. And isn't it wonderful that that's the boundary that's being fought. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're arguing over, um, bedtime effectively and switching off of a computer game in terms of the battles that I would rather be fighting I would much rather be fighting that one than um, drinking drugs um, the, the, you know there's so many others that teenagers their job is to push buttons and to stretch boundaries and to see how far, you know, they can get their freedom. And that's really frustrating, really frustrating as a parent 
because could they just stop it? <laughs> just, you know, we have said what the rules are. Could you flee? Just follow them. So it is a bit of a dance between you do need to respect the rules that are put in place, but rules aren't put in place to control each other. Rules are there to protect us. Rules are there to give safe boundaries. So when we really see that that's the purpose of rules and we're, we're willing to have conversations about that, then it's a lot easier to get around it. So for that woman who's emailed you, well, what's the purpose of the rules that she's she's got? Let's have a conversation about that with her son and get him to think about it. Well, why, why do we have the rules that we have? And get him, if that's not an acceptable rule, because when we invent a rule, for example... When Callum was 13, he had less computer time and he had an earlier bedtime than he did when he was 15 or 16. Rules change and they change, people change and the environment changes. So it's a constant renegotiation and understanding of what's important and why are we doing what we're doing, which comes back to that listening to each other you know I think it begins and ends there we started off with listening and, and it, it is it's one of the things where um, and I think when you get to the point where there's no listening on either side but just kind of yelling and back and forth it's it's such a there, there's, there's nothing to be accomplished you know there's nothing going to be accomplished in that moment yeah. And in that way. Yeah. And if that's the way that's been the, the norm, how is it working for you? It's not. So let's do something different. And when you do do something different, be prepared to be knocked back. Because if you show up as this calm, curious parent and you've never shown up as that, <laughs> yeah. What's thing? is going to be suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, if they showed up in a completely different way, then, you know, we would be thinking, exactly. what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just be prepared for that. But it's okay because you're leading by example. And the calmer you stay and the more curious you stay, genuinely curious. And the longer, you know, just let go of the outcome let go of the outcome and just show up and love them and they will finally eventually open up for you I had a good thought and then you say something and I'm like oh that's a really good thought <laughs> <laughs> I had another question but it's gone it's just gone um call it what are you so you've got the families you've got what what else do you have going on right now well, I'm going to be leaving shortly to go and do a, a youth workshop um, around well-being and mm. aspirations and stuff. That's um, that's been really good fun, actually. That's with um, a mental health organisation. It's young carers. Nice. Um, 
So they've got parents who have got a variety of different mental health issues and this is their respite. Um, so that's really nice. And um, so, yeah, that's our work with Potentially Me, which is obviously that's our social enterprise that focuses on young people. But we work with young people mm -hmm. by working with adults around a young person, which is where the parent work comes in. And, um, yeah, I work with grown-ups myself in my own coaching practice, which is fab. And it's, you know, I'm a big advocate of playfulness. That's what it's all about. Let's stop treating life so seriously. Embrace a whole lot of play and um, make good things happen. And I get the honour of doing that for a living. How cool is that? No, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Colette, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me again, round two, and I'm sure there'll be round three and four coming up. <laughs> oh, absolutely. it's been a pleasure thank you love the conversation so no doubt we'll be in touch soon yes take care thank you see you bye. later bye bye as always that was a fun and witty conversation with a dose of deep wisdom included i do love my chats with colette i truly appreciate her openness and honesty and really willing to show up I hope you enjoyed it as well. Just remember that parenting is fluid. It's about connection and curiosity. Here are a few thought bomb takeaways. When we create the space for our children to get curious about their lives, their experiences and their choices, they're less likely to, get to look elsewhere for that space. The tween and teen years bring about many changes for both the children and the parents. Understanding that these changes are normal and the, the kind of the behaviors are not personal makes the challenging times more understandable. Helping our children embrace who they are may be uncomfortable and challenging for us. This is an opportunity to explore why and where it's a challenge for us as parents. It's a time for personal growth for us as well. And finally, our children are more than okay. We often don't give them enough credit. Stand back a little, give them boundaries, but make sure that you also give them room to grow. Until next time, be well, be inspired, be you. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll share this podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with Jessie Lynn, please check out the contact page on her website, jessielynnmcdonald.com. Also, we'd be beyond grateful if you would leave us a review. Join us next time for another edition of the CPR of Life.